I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. You need to know exactly where your food's coming from. That's the, the clientele that write the menu every week. Keeping your eyes open and your ear to the ground, essentially, and listening to what people are growing. The integrity, that, that provenance, that ability to not just know where something came from, but to really know the, the ins and outs of how it was raised is really important. G'day and welcome to another episode of the Capital Cookbook 3 podcast. This is the Quicksand Food Connection and I'm Stefan Postuma. Today I speak with Robert Armstrong and Westerly Isba from Alto Olives in Crookwell. Alto is one of Australia's highest achieving olive oil and table olive producers and they're just outside Canberra. They have an enormous attention to detail when it comes to the products they produce and their location and their passion for what they do all contribute to the production of such high quality products that are used by many Canberra chefs. It's a very interesting conversation. They're very passionate and knowledgeable and I really enjoyed going out there for the day, taking some photos and getting to know more about them and what they do. So I hope that you also enjoy this conversation with Robert and Westerly from Alto Olives in Crookwell. To start with, do you, do you want to just tell us a bit about the farm out here? It's a beautiful place and a lot of history. Yes, I'd be happy to. Sure. <laughs> I don't know entirely the history of it, but it's uh, this whole area uh, was settled when John Oxley went through. And um, I think a lot of the people that worked for him, the overseers that drove the the uh, the oxen, whatever they were moving around in, um, they took up land grants here, and so a lot of them were Irish, and so it's a very Irish area. Mm. You have uh, classical Irish names. There's five or six families here: the Fords, the Mills, mm. uh, the Hogans, uh, the Cartwrights, the Wheelwrights, <laughs> <laughs> and um, this particular property was owned by the Mills family and uh, a, a very dear friend of mine and mentor to me, David Batham, he purchased the farm about 45 years ago and uh, it, he actually had to buy it from many, many different mills because they're all separate titles right. all around here. You know, you had this, ex- you had this somebody would ha- own the land and then they would have children and then... They would have to then give the children a, a, a portion of the land to to grow. So on the building on the uh, on the total land area, which originally was, it was I think it was originally called the Big Meadow. It it 
covered far more land than what it does now. But um, over the years, they they sold it off. And uh, anyway, David bought it when there was, I think, about 3,000 acres, and still around 3,000 acres, this mm-hmm. property. And um, we have the two farmhouses. There are sort of the skeletons from other farmhouses here. Mm. And um, classically, it must have been a very difficult place to get to. You would only be able to get here by horse and and cart to bring stuff down. And and some of the old farmhouses, when you look at them, you can imagine how difficult it was to live here because there was no running water, no electricity, dirt floors. Um, Particularly must have been hard for the women because they had large families, Irish families. They would have 10 or 12 kids. And... um, so uh, I think David, when he took it over, he converted it. Well, he, he was very keen on um, fine merino wool, and this is classically was a fine merino wool area. Um, you produce great wool where the sheep have to do it hard, mm-hmm. and this is really a hard area. Exactly, yeah. It's not just the climate, but there's, uh, there's not a great deal of soil. If you notice, there's very few flats. And so uh, it's not really cut out for anything but grazing. Mm. And uh, so as a consequence of that, um, it's been overgrazed forever. Mm. And uh, so when, when uh, in 1990s, in the late 1990s, we were, we were living in Singapore, although we came down to Australia every holidays, and I would spend most of my holidays here every year, um, uh, David was getting old, and um, so I bought half the farm in 1997. And um, uh, I hated sheep, and so I didn't <laughs> want to do sheep. And so we uh, we we converted to cattle, and uh, at the same time, I was given a few hundred uh, small, very spindly, sick-looking little olive trees by a friend of ours who. Actually, has a mill and uh, has a has the old mill in Lagan. He's mm-hmm. got a restaurant there. Graham Liney, his name is, and so he gave us these uh, olive trees and we planted them and they all died. And uh, and we bought more. We bought a thousand. We thought, well, okay, uh, they're very old little things that they desperately need health and what have you. So we bought another thousand trees from a nursery and they died too. And so after that. Um, we became much more conscious of the fact that we had to study about mm. uh, growing olives because up till then, in our ignorance, we assumed that olive trees didn't need much water or didn't need anything very much, and um, uh, that wasn't the case. Anyway, over the years since then, we've learned how to do it, and what started off as 100% mortality now is probably about 3% if we we're not really planting anymore yeah we have enough olive trees mm-hmm. so that's the sort of background to us getting here and mm-hmm. um, it took a long time before the trees grew and started to flourish and uh, uh, we engaged a horticultural consultant who helped us a lot and um, I went and studied with uh, various people in Australia Professor Stan Kalis was one of the great uh, Uh, really knowledgeable people about olives in Australia and we also supported what we studied and learnt by you know going overseas and looking at 
olive groves and how they do things in Italy and Sicily and uh, Greece and wherever we could go where we thought we could learn mm -hmm. about olives. And, uh, and so now, well, this is, what are we now? It's 19... Mm, sorry, 2016. Tw 2016. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I think we've, we've really managed it now. Yeah. Uh, and about six years ago, we started to realize, because we started to get a volume of oils and table olives, and we pretty much worked out the, the technology of it and the horticultural requirements, um, we realized then we had to start really zooming in on marketing, and that's when we developed the Alto brand. Mm -hmm. And um, it's about when Wesley joined with us. How long ago was uh, yeah, I started kind of part-time about six years ago and mm. full-time four years ago. Yeah. 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 And, um, and we've just followed um, a business plan that I have used in other places in the world, and it's really, it's very much market-focused and um, rather than production-focused. We realized that we had to sell volumes to be successful, mm -hmm. to make it into a business rather than yeah, a hobby. Of and... Um, so we've 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 developed, I think, uh, a good business plan that so far is is working well, and we're continuing to grow the business nationally. And currently, we're looking at selected export markets. Mm -hmm. um, and in fact, uh, Wesley's just come back from Singapore, so have I. And next week, I'll be in Japan. So we've got a number of target markets. We yeah, obviously don't. We, whatever we do, we have to be able to match the demand for our products with our capability to deliver. Yeah. And not compromise on quality. And, and yeah. not compromise on quality. So we've kept away from... Would you like to do that? Yeah, we've, sorry. We've kept away from our supermarkets. We're, we're, we're basically producing premium products. Mm. We, we put a huge effort into ensuring that everything is total quality. A grade all the way. We, yeah. uh, with our table olives, we grade them when we take them off the trees, and we grade them again before we pack them off. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and the oils, I think we've proven beyond doubt that we can make the, some of the best quality oils in the world. Yeah, and how how did you? I mean, obviously you were, you were talking about your studies and, and traveling overseas and things like that, um, and learning about olive production and olive oil production. You know, what is what would you what would you say is it that, that separates uh, oil of the quality of alto to to perhaps another another olive oil or something sort of that would be considered sort of a standard a standard quality? Um, well, I think it's partly the location. Right. Um, we have we're we're growing the olives at around eight hundred and fifty meters high, which is quite high altitude yes. for olives. We're not the highest grove in Australia, but we would be one of the highest groves. By all uh, accounts, we're the second highest altitude grove in Australia. Okay, well, I, I didn't know that, mm. but but um, it's it's. I think it's a very similar situation to um, wine grapes. So it's really the diurnal temperatures that make the difference. So that means the difference between the day temperature and the night temperature, and uh, here we can have. 35 degree temperature in the day and at night time it's 12 degrees mm -hmm. and it's it's said by wiser people than I that uh, what happens in that situation that the plants 
once once the temperature drops at night below 18 degrees the plants stop working and of course with this climate um, they tend to ripen very slowly it's not even though it's very hot the nighttime cools everything down so um, that tends from our experience and our observation that tends to produce um, very fresh fruity oils a lot of intense flavors and um, uh, high polyphenol levels. High polyphenol levels, which which translates to long-lasting oils. Mm-hmm. Um, there are all of our oils are chemically tested, and they have a test called the Ransomat test. Uh, typically, a good extra virgin olive oil will go around 24 hours. Ours go 32, 34 hours mm-hmm. before they break down. Yeah. So uh, that that is generally a very good sign. Uh, the other thing is that here, both in the groves and also in our processing, there's an enormous amount of attention to detail. We measure everything yep. and we track everything. And um, so we have very strict quality control mm-hmm. on everything that we do. Yep. Um, we're largely working with um, local people who come in and work with us. and. Uh, we put a lot of energy into it, training them, mm-hmm. and um, uh, I think that that the, the, all of those things come into play. You know, strict uh, control of temperatures. We make sure that everything is stored at the optimal temperatures for extra virgin olive oil. All of our bottles are dark. Uh, we 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 um, sparge all of our oils with nitrogen so that you have an inert gas on top with whatever the container is so it stops again uh, oils unlike uh, uh, you know oil is as Wesley is fond of saying is uh, that the oils that we make are just the juice of an olive and so it comes from the freshness of of that olive and so we when we harvest here what we harvest the next day is already converted into oil. Yep. Uh, we don't have a mill here, but we have two or three different mills that we can use. And uh, the trucks usually come here at two o'clock in the morning and we've picked all day and we've graded, well, not graded them, but we've prepared them all for shipment. And they're pressed the next morning. They're pressed the next, the morning, next morning from 7 a.m. the next morning. And the other thing I think that uh, adds to why Alto can be different from some of the other brands is we have a lot of different varietals that we grow and so we blend Mm -hmm. and having the ability to take different single varietals because they all have different flavor and aroma attributes and actually create a really well-balanced harmonious blend Mm -hmm. is not something that all olive growers can do because they don't have access to that many varietals Mm -hmm. so you know one of your varietals when you press it might have a very you know bitter or pungent kind of profile so you want another olive varietal that you can blend with that that's going to kind of balance that out Mm. and we've got that ability here because we grow 15 different varietals in total some of them for table olives some for oil but some for both Mm. so we have the ability to blend and i think that's quite important in achieving a really good product at the end of the day does do you when you blend do you blend consistently from harvest to harvest or do you sort of take the characteristics of a particular varietal from one harvest see how that will sort of marry with it with another one or or is it sort of similar through the different harvests well the way that we've set up our product range we have for instance 
two oils. One of them on the label says delicate and the other one on the label says robust. So we're blending to a style. Yeah. So every year, regardless of what each individual olive varietal is tasting like individually, we always want to create a really delicious well-balanced, delicate style of oil mm. that is, you know, branded, labeled and marketed as a delicate style of oil. And then same thing for the robust. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's not about trying to zero in on specific attributes of specific varietals. Mm. It's actually about trying because every year the oils are going to be slightly different. It, it's, you know, what week we harvested it in, uh, what the temperatures were like, how much water the olives got. I mean, all of that affects the final oil that you press from those olives. Sure. So there's going to be a bit different every year. So really we're looking towards, with most of our products, getting the style right. And obviously that every year it's really good mm-hmm. and really yummy. Yeah. Um, but it's it's a style-based thing. And that gives us more room to move, I guess, in a way. Um, because, you know, as I said, every single year the oils are slightly different. And that's because... It's just the fresh pressed juice of the olive and yeah. it's a natural as natural as it gets. So, mm. you know, I sometimes think with this whole natural wine uh, kind of explosion that's happened in the wine world where people are looking at minimal intervention and not adding things and in terms of the processing, leaving nature to kind of do its thing. That's almost what extra virgin olive oil is by its very nature mm. is all you have is what you've pressed out of those olives and then you can you know, put a few of them together to try and get a good harmony and balance. But that's it. You yeah. don't, you know, you don't do too that much to it. So you need to start with good olives to make good oil. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, sort of having a, having a range where, you know, you can you can focus in like you're talking about making a delicate, making a robust, and a few other products. Um, it sort of allows it allows the individual products to really be appreciated and recognised. And I, I think, as you said, Robert, you know, um, it was a sort of a market-driven mentality at the start. And, um, you know, from my experience with Alto Olive working in some high-quality kitchens... Um, the chefs, the chefs are, are sort of the people who people who definitely really appreciate can appreciate these sorts of products, mm-hmm. and then uh, sort of give them give them to their patrons and to their customers to be appreciated in the same way, you know, rather than sort of using using something as a as a component or as an ingredient where it doesn't really shine. Like at a place that I was working at, every every table when they got seated got some fresh bread and just some alto oil and and that's all they got and it sort of allowed and and from visiting the farm the first time as well and getting that education about it it allowed us to sort of um communicate with the customer and 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 tell them about you know the quality that that they're receiving Mm. which is which is something that's um special so um you know you guys have retail but you also do supply uh, um a lot of you know the commercial industry as well uh well probably supplying food service is probably uh the biggest part of our business but we do do that through distributors Mm -hmm. we work um you know in a partnership in a way with our different distributors in different parts of australia so Mm -hmm. each state we we work with someone different and certainly that's our strategy uh when looking at certain export markets as well you know geographically speaking we're in the middle of the abercrombie wilderness 
and it's not easy to get in and out sometimes. And so working with um, companies that are based in the major capital cities that have a, a database of customers and working very closely with them, so doing the training with them and going on the road with them, for us, it's just a better way to manage getting our product to people mm-hmm. as opposed to trying to do direct sales or online sales. I mean, you know, if if it snows here or we have a really bad frost, like vehicles can, can't come in and out. So to make sure that in each state there are, um, you know, distributors that have that database of food service customers and then they're the ones that get the stock to them and we work with those guys to, to make that happen and facilitate that but also to do olive oil education and olive education and and you know tastings all the time I mean we're very hands-on in that regard but certainly for us um, you know we'd I'd say that the food service proponent of our business is probably bigger than um, mm. the retail but we do well at both and yeah. that's that's something that was important for dad's strategy um, from the beginning as well was that the packaging that we had was we have you know formats that are suitable to food service but also that we've got it all beautiful beautifully done and all of the work that was done on the branding so that it looks gorgeous on a on a retail shelf Mm -hmm. and obviously the quality of the product is great across both sectors yeah and um so we've talked we've talked about the the oils but table olives is obviously another big part of what you guys do do you want to just tell us a bit about sort of the different varieties you have you know i'm familiar with the the mix Mm -hmm. the mix that you guys have um which has been really well received in restaurants that i've worked at but do you want to tell us a bit more sure we've we've probably got about six or seven varieties basically every olive can be used as a table olive or can be uh, can produce oil Um, the difference is that there are some olives that produce a lot more yield of oil and so typically they go into making extra virgin olive Mm -hmm. oil. The uh, table olives um, tend to have a slightly lower oil content and so they sort of gravitate naturally towards being turned into table olives. Um, A difference between say you might get 8% oil in a table olive and you could get 25% of oil in an oil olive but they both can be used for either uh, usage. Mm-hmm. So we've got about six or seven uh, table olive varietals here. <clears throat> Unlike most people, we don't use any chemicals. We don't use caustic soda, which is the typical way that most olives are produced. We simply use uh, rainwater and filtered rainwater, and we uh, use sea salt. And um, uh, that's really our process, but we have to, we do it in such a way that it's pristine, that there's no chance of, of any runaway um, uh, biological moles forming. We just it's a fermentation process, and um, so you have lactobacillus, which is a white sort of mold that forms, and that's that's very good for people and for their stomachs and everything else. I mean, a table olives has all of the goodness of extra virgin olive oil. It's just in a little package mm. and um, and it's fermented which is and it's fermented, know, as yeah. we now are discovering uh, more and more how important eating fermented foods are for mm. our biome you know mm. for our guts for our gut, yeah. yeah and uh, I think that so we have right from the beginning insisted that we just do them naturally and um, uh, I suppose a lot of what we do is really based on uh, education and the hope that one day every 
bar and pub instead of handing out peanuts and Smith's chips and full of trans fats that they'll be putting a little bowl of olives down as mm. they do in Greece or France or Italy. Yeah. Uh, because the consumption of table olives in Australia is very low and it's quite interesting because in, in traditional Mediterranean countries uh, the whole olive uh, olives evolved as a table fruit and also as a cosmetic, as an unguent. Mm-hmm. And um, it's only really more recently that so much focus has been given on oil. Um, as a consequence of that, most people in Australia that have grown olives have focused on producing extra virgin olive oil. Mm-hmm. So we're one of the few players, really, that are doing... Um, uh, table olives. So as a consequence of that, again, I think that's that we've got what we're doing uh, with that real concentration on, on quality. Um, I think it's how we've managed to win out of the last four years we've won champion table olive of Australia. Mm. Uh, and we can see that actually the growth now in the table olives has, has exceeded the growth in in the extra virgin olive yeah, oil. Right. So, um, you talked about the mix. Well, we, we checked with chefs and uh, we found that a lot of them were simply buying olives from all over the place and doing a mix. So we do a mix called Misto, which is six different olives, three black olives, three green olives, and they're all different sizes. Mm-hmm. And it varies a bit because it depends on what we have in our vats, but it's still a very interesting mix. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, then the chefs take that and all of the texture of the olives is really good there's no mushy olives or damaged olives no not even any marks on the olives and um, they then add whatever marinade they want yeah. and that's what they told us that they want they don't really want to use somebody else's marinade yeah so. no i agree um what you, you mentioned sort of a growth in you know the interest in table olives what what do you think that's attributed to i think i mean in general food awareness and people's sort of adventurous um people becoming more adventurous and 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 trying new things and becoming more educated about food in general over the last sort of like five to ten years yeah there's no doubt about is that. that um is that do you think that that's sort of probably one of the reasons why you've seen a growth in in, in table of sort of popularity um well i i can't i don't know whether it's popularity generally or whether we're just being successful because people are finding an olive that's not mush or mm, okay. or is not uh, tasteless or bland. Um, probably Wesley could comment more on what's going on out in the market. I'm mm. just putting them in the <laughs> barrels. Well, I'd say it's a bit of both. I mean, if you think about like, you know, 10 years ago going to a deli and, and your options opposite olives, well, they were all imported, A. And B, you know, the, <laughs> they would often sell like, what I call the rubber tires. They're, they're like these black olives that have been pitted, but but there's absolutely no flavor no or flavor. no texture. Like it's just, I don't even understand why. And that's what ends up on a lot of pizzas still. But yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think there is a general thing um, in Australia. You know, our food culture is relatively young because we are a younger nation than, for instance, sure. Europe and, and, and places like that. But I think that certainly the olives, the quality of the olives that we are producing is excellent and that's that's contributing partly because mm-hmm. what was available before is is different to what you can have access to now and then as you said secondly i think that we are learning more about food we are embracing more food from different places and i think 
as an as a culture, Australia is starting to find and understand its own identity around food in the fact that we are made up of different people from different parts of the world and all of the food and culture that that brings is that's what makes it quite special and unique to live here because it's people from all yeah. over the world mm. the asian influence the mediterranean influence so so foods the moroccan that influence the moroccan influence yeah. so perhaps foods that were only eaten by certain ethnic groups yeah. 20 years ago are now being enjoyed mm. by everybody. Yes, yeah. we've got a lot more Arabic people, people here. Yeah, so I think there's that as well. You yeah, know, we're starting to embrace point. that sure. a little bit more. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And then once you see, you know, members from different cultures um, become a part of mainstream media and, and have successful restaurants yeah. that are recognised in the media and things that, that sort of trickles down through society and contributes to yeah. sort of people's tastes and... And that sort of thing as well. Absolutely. There's also, you know, a lot of cool bars out there. Bloody oath. And, and <laughs> um, you know, being able to present something that goes with drinks, I think people recognise that just drinking alcohol without something to go with it mm. is not really... Uh, it well, we need to promote that more and more yeah, and more. I mean, that It, it is, doesn't meet the, the regulations. It doesn't meet no. the, what we know mm. as common sense. Yeah, yeah, well, there's so many cultures out there where you wouldn't even think about going and having a drink without something to eat as well mm. it seems to be something we do a lot of in australia like you say you open a packet of salt and vinegar chips and and, and have some beers and, and a drink but there's so many cultures out there where food and drink go hand in hand every time exactly you, you know and it's yeah, why I, mean, I think they've got a, pubs uh, yeah it, <laughs> i think it's why they've got a better relationship with alcohol because they don't see it as this separate thing that you go off on a weekend and you go and get pissed. It would be that you would go somewhere to share food and wine together collectively as a family or as a friend's thing. It's not... We just have a very different uh, relationship to to alcohol and its place in our culture in a way, I think. But I think that's changing. Yeah. You know, slowly but surely. (laughs) Um, And you mentioned, Robert, sort of um, education. Uh, You know... So can you just give us an idea of some of the things that you guys have done, um, you know, included the public in educating them about olives, olive oils? I I know you did a sort of, um, what was it called, the olive oil experience? Well, I I guess when we talk about education, we're really talking about um, the Australian olive industry itself uh, because we recognise that, and Wesley and I both in, in our own ways... Um, play uh, leading roles in the in the industry body itself. Um, we've embraced that body because we believe that it's really good for all growers. And the thing that you realise when you're working as a group uh, is that the recognition is that uh, really there's everybody. It, it's a bit like wines. There's a certain confrontational aspect to it because you don't know you know well and you don't want to be seen to be foolish you know well you know is a is a a green olive the same as a black olive does it come off the same tree um what uh why is it green why is it black uh what's extra virgin olive oil what's virgin olive oil what's you know it's a quite arcane. We're talking about something that's thousands of years old, and the sort of it has its own jargon, uh, in the same way that wines do. And mm. so people, 
aspiring to have better knowledge, but it's quite confrontational. Mm. So I think as an industry, we've recognized this and uh, there's a lot of effort going on at the industry level and certainly here at Alto, we're constantly, uh, uh, if, there's a, if there are food shows, we often go on food shows and uh, uh, give uh, just talks at food shows just to the public. Um, Wesley and I both do master classes for in tasting for yes, chefs. Right. I mean, we yeah, we again those sorts of um, the chefs are really today's leaders in terms of setting food trends. And mm. if we believe that we start with chefs because in in their formal education they get very little exposure to about oil generally. Mm. It's I mean typically it's seen as a cooking fat and that it's not suitable for this and not suitable for that. And uh, I think that there's so much more to it, that the health benefits and the, all of the issues that around um, particularly extra virgin olive oil and table olive. So mm. that's why we're, we, we, we're constantly are doing that educational program. And the industry itself is constantly putting out um, information. So practically every but his website that's in the industry has loads of information about how to cook with it, why it's good for you, uh, all of those things. Mm. Yeah, no, that's great. And I think that, I, you know, I mean, I spend a lot of time in, in foodie circles and people that, that have a relatively good education. But, you know, it wasn't long ago where all, all you'd see was imported, imported olive oil, essentially. You know, growing up, I, I remember that's all we had. And, um, and there's definitely you know i see a public out there who are seeking out well-produced australian olive oil and table olives yes, where, yes. wherever they can well I, I can think of my own parents you know they didn't they my father used to buy olive oil years ago when i was a child but he didn't know it was rancid yeah. and <laughs> and uh that's often the case with people that come from other countries uh, particularly mediterranean countries they they um, they're very used to olive oil, but they're not used to really clean, fresh olive oil because that they don't have it. You know, mm. the the olives are let drop on the ground and then they're put in sacks, and a few weeks later they get to the mill. And um, it was interesting for me when I was studying uh, with Professor Stan Kalos. I went to a a ten day uh, course at a place called New Norcia which is in West Australia. It's, an, it's a huge old mission uh, run by one of the... Um, I forget which group of... It's not the Jesuits, but it's one of those groups that, that set up this enormous operation where they grew wheat and they grew olives. In fact, the oldest uh, really large producing groves are still at this place at New Norcia. And they've got the old stone wheel that used to be driven by a donkey and it now runs on a motor and um, literally the oil that they make there and they sell to the public it is just foul mm. it is just so <laughs> rancid you just can't believe it but they think it's great and that comes from the fact that they would they would wait till the olives all you know those olives that you saw on the tree today they're all shriveled up and overripe they would produce terrible oil, but they would wait till they dropped on the ground and then harvest them with rakes, probably with sheep poo and everything else in it, and that was how they produced the olive oil. So 
I think that's another thing that's happened here in Australia. We're so, as the winemakers are, we're so particular about doing everything in a in a way that's absolutely totally good hygiene mm. and good practice yeah. and fresh as it should be. Yeah, yeah it seems it's, and there's a public there that's willing to willing to pay for it. You know, that's willing. also true. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, and they can tell the difference now. You exactly. know, if they, if they dip some bread in a, a really fresh, fruity oil that's free of faults, wow, it really tastes good, and they're getting to like the taste of it, mm. not not feeling as if it's something that they have to eat because they've got constipation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, and I and I mean, I guess that all sort of has come together in the numerous sort of international awards that that you guys have won over the years and things. Yes. Recognition and... Yes, I think we've got the recognition of our peers now. Yeah. <laughs> Even if the general public still doesn't understand. But yes, yes. Well, of course, the, the international community are all very tuned into who's making the best oils. Mm. And uh, so we actively participate in all the international shows and we've done very well, uh, as a number of Australian growers have done. Mm. And it's terrific, really. Yeah. It just shows you that we can do it and uh, uh, it's not I think it's still farming and farming is very difficult to make money out of farming but uh, we're convinced that we'll get there and in the meantime we just love the life it's just a beautiful thing to be producing such a, a lovely product and it's you know it's as I said before it's such an ancient and noble thing the olive it's just been around forever it has yeah and and so I feel really proud to be able to be part of that, and I know Wesley does too. And yeah. um, we we feel that we're doing it the right way. It's there's always a temptation to cut corners, uh, but we won't do that. So yeah, of course. It, it does affect. It makes it more expensive, but again, we still don't think that olive oil should be expensive. It should be something that's accessible. Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, um, look. Thanks for. If, Thanks for your your time today, Pleasure. showing us around, and thanks for the great oils. I've had some great nights where people have been talking all about your great oils, olives, and as well as the chefs that I've worked with. So, Wesley and Robert, thanks so much. Thank A you, Stefan. Thank you very thanks much. Thank you. Thanks for joining me for another Capital Cookbook 3 podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Robert and Westerly from Alto Olives in Crookwell. If you want to find out more about Alto, you can visit them online at alto-olives.com.au. And if you want more of these podcasts, you can go to iTunes or Stitcher, or you can find them on our website, quicksandfood.com, and click on the podcasts link. If you want to find us on social media, we're at quicksandfood on Facebook and on Instagram, where you can get all the latest news. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next time. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian-developed, 
And it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.